I want to take a minute to promote a business by a friend of the podcast and also a really good friend of mine. And that business is Bendings Canvas. It can be found on redbubble.com. And it's some incredible artwork. I'm looking at it right now and I'm I'm blown away by it. I'm like lost for words. Really amazing artist. Um, you can go on there, get all sorts of magnets, stickers, artwork. There's a really cool variety of things. Really cool stuff. So definitely go on there if you want to get something for yourself. If you want to maybe get a gift for someone, like maybe a birthday gift, holiday gift, homewarming gift, or just a random gift for an occasion. That's a thing that you can still do. Um, definitely go on go on there, Bendings Canvas, for absolutely amazing artwork and a, support a really close friend of mine. Um, that's Bendings Canvas on Redbubble.com. That's Bendings Canvas on Redbubble.com. Hi, everybody. This is Matt Kirby, and welcome to a brand new episode of Groupie and Harmony, a podcast all about music. Uh, today, there's a topic that I'm going to be doing a blog post about, but since there's a bunch that I want to discuss for it, I figured that instead I would use the podcast as a teaser for it, do part of what I wanted to do, and then do the rest in either one or two posts. Uh, before we get into that, though, I do have a couple other things that I want to discuss, and even before that, as always, I have to do my shameless plug. I have a Facebook page. It's called Groupie and Harmony. Make sure you give that a like, because I post whenever I uh, release a new episode, whenever I have any updates about the podcast, or whenever I have any updates about the blog, or my blog, Feeling Groupie. So, for... Feeling groupy. So, um, here's the thing. So, I'm recording this Saturday night, and this episode is going to be released sometime Monday evening. And at that time, I will have a new... Before then, I will have posted a new post that is the second uh, second festival lineup for my fictional festival series. Um, another Warp Tour one, um, or medical version of Warp Tour, um... I haven't posted it at the time of recording, but it will be by the time you're looking at, uh, looking for it on the blog. Um, so that one is one that has co-headlining A Day to Remember, Bring Me the Horizon, and Mastodon. Um, and there's a bunch of other ones. It has, I think it has a really nice mix of, uh, metalcore, punk, emo, um, other forms of metal, and, uh, similar genres like that, as well as some other ones. A weird blend of up and rising artists and then and established artists and uh, kind of uh, falling in terms of popularity artists. So I'm really excited about that uh, that lineup. Um, so I list the lineup, the times that I would have everyone perform at, uh, and then uh, some notes that I have about um, and like some thoughts I have about what I did and why I did it. So definitely be sure to check that one out. Uh, and then I have a separate Facebook page for my other blog, which is Is Baller Trademarked Yet? And that one's all about basketball. So my, um, let's see. So uh, I believe that I recorded the last episode since I had my previous post about top the, some random topics that were on my mind. Um, but this weekend I posted, I had another post related to March Madness results. And I discussed in particular the games that I got wrong. Or the big upsets, which there were several upsets that I got correct. Like, it suddenly makes me look like a genius that I had UCLA in the Elite Eight, um, North uh, North Texas beating Purdue, and best of all, Oral Roberts 
beating Ohio State. So, um, I, uh, so yeah, so I have that post that I released, and as a bonus, I also discussed, um, because, uh, one, uh, and now former UCLA player, uh, Jalen Hill, announced his, after he left the team, uh, announced his retirement from basketball due to mental health reasons, so I discussed that as well as, uh, some, uh, some uh some reason why I respect it and some similarities related to that um for my uh I guess struggles with mental health and my dealing with mental health um so be sure to check that one out uh that one was posted this past weekend um and then the other and then for a feeling groupie that one will be out uh uh, well, that one will be out, um, be out after I record this. So by the time you're post, by the time you're listening to this, it will be out. And then there will be a bunch of ones that I'll have coming out. I'll get into the upcoming, se- uh, either single post or series, probably series, uh, of two that I'll have for, um, my, for, uh, feeling groupy. And then for, uh, is Baller trademarked yet? Yeah, there's a bunch that I want to discuss, um, now that we're starting to get closer, uh, further along in the season, um, maybe like doing some, uh, some like award races. Um, recently ESPN released a top 20, a top, uh, 25 under 25 list. So I thought that would be, that might be fun to replicate and steal what mine would be. Um, and there are some, there are some other things that I have considered. So, Keep your eyes peeled for stuff with that. So today, um, the first actual topic that I do want to get to is in the previous episode, I had discussed that uh, DMX had, or legendary hip-hop artist DMX had been hospitalized. Uh, Since then, on April 9th, he passed away at at the age of... uh, Actually, just two days, or not two days, I'm looking at his death date, sorry. A few months after he turned 50. So, I mean, I don't want to, because I had already discussed a bunch related to him just recently. But even still, I think that he really is, he had become, like, by this, by prior to his death and hospitalization, he had become possibly one of the most underrated artists in his in his career or in his prime or in his era because like you had for instance in that time span like just coming off the top of my head you had like because his prime was like the late 90s to mid 2000s commercially you had like jay-z who's still making music that's uh commercially and critically successful eminem who's still finding commercial success um Kanye West, who still found commercial success. Um, just those three are off the bat. And there are several others that have had longer careers. So um, so I think that he had gotten a bit overlooked by that time. But really, he really is one of, one of the most important people in, especially like late 90s hip-hop as like, especially because I mentioned with the hardcore hip-hop in particular, he really helped bring 
to bridge that one to the mainstream. Because uh, while, like, um, cause while, like, Wu-Tang Clan, for instance, came first, and there were already gangster rappers before, he brought a spin on it and brought it to a commercial level that there were very few people able to up until that point and really helped break through, uh, helped hip-hop music break through to a new level, especially with East Coast hip-hop music. Um, so, um, rest in peace. He really isn't a, really was a talented, talented rapper and I truly believe had become underrated by the time that he, uh, by the end of his lifetime even. So I am glad that, uh, I am glad that, uh, that, like, his family, for instance, uh, was able to see how much, uh, how much he meant to people. It really is a shame. I honestly would have loved for him to have, uh, to have seen that, because I, and I also have, like, just seeing so many outpourings for him discussing, like, just how nice of a person he was also, which really is something special to see also. Because I know a lot of celebrities do have, uh, there are a lot of celebrities that have a reputation of being jerks or assholes. So it really is special to see that there are just so many people that thought of him as such a nice guy. Um, so rest in peace, DMX, and uh, thoughts and prayers out to all of his family, friends, loved ones. Um, and that's just, it's brutal. It's brutal. So, um, since festival lineups are still coming out, and I'll, and when I, I'm going to discuss festival lineups as they come out, and ones that I want to talk about, and the one that, more importantly, ones that I actually, like, catch my eye that I notice, um, because I've seen a bunch that after I looked, I was like, oh, okay. Um, so, the one one that I do want to discuss here is uh, Imagine Music Festival, and and this is I discuss all of these with the caveat that I don't know if any of these are going to happen. We, of course, because of COVID, any of these could could be canceled, and any music festival, if they especially if there's a an additional wave in near that area or in the country, they might be forced to cancel it. So this is with the caveat of that. But this festival, the Imagine Music Festival, it's an electronic music festival um, in Georgia. So uh, they announced their lineup. That one's scheduled to take place September 17th through 19th. Um, So the headliners for that one are Excision, Grizz, Elanium, and Cascade. Um, And they also have special guest Griffin um, and... uh, um, made on doing a good faith live set, um, and that other artists that they have, they have Cascade doing a uh, doing like two uh, two sets. One of them being a a daytime pool party set. And then they also have uh, se- several others. Uh, these are just ones that I'm seeing uh, I'm just looking around quickly adventure adventure club back to back uh, followed by ride 10 um, black tiger sex machine um, back to back carnage and uh, Borgor 
um, Caspo, um, Dion Timmer, um, back-to-back Kaizo and Subtronics, uh, Lucid Stranger, Peekaboo, um, what's called Spongle Droid, which is going to be, uh, Simon Posford of most known for Spongle, uh, featuring Android Jones, uh, Subtronics, they're going to be doing their, uh, Wookdontronics set, um, several others, um, another, on another stage, they have Fisher that's going to be headlining that stage, and then, um, and then just randomly once that I see Lee Foss, um, Mala, um, Walker and Royce, John Summit, um, Dylan Nathaniel, um, Side Piece, Sunburn, West End, um, and then, uh, on another stage, they have Liquid Stranger, uh, and then just randomly once I see, um, Lucy, Schlump, G-Rex, um, Black Gummy, Corrupt UK, uh, Joyce Muniz, um, Mersiv, uh, Leia Culver, um, Diesel Boy, several others, there's a bunch of others, so if you're into that type of music, into electronic music, uh, definitely, definitely feel free to check that one out, um, yeah, I will say, I'm really impressed with that lineup, that's a loaded lineup, um, <laughs> it, um, I mean, even those head, those headliners are, uh, Yeah, that's those are some really good headliners. Um, Excision is one that it's funny because like his commercial releases aren't like massive, but then it's like you put him headlining a festival and it's like okay, um, Elanium has really exploded commercially. Cascade is really big. Grizz has gotten really big too, um, and even like the undercard names are some pretty solid names there. Um, there are others I didn't even mention that are that I'm also like wow. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm really, I mean, I'm not an electronic fan, but I'm impressed with that lineup. If I was an electronic fan, I would go to that, like, also one I didn't mention that's a big name also that's right, was right in front of my face was Blau. I mean, he's gotten big too. So, I yeah, I would say that is a, I'm really impressed with that lineup. Um, so really neat one um I could see a lot of people really loving that lineup um and that ultimately if you're into that type of music that being just a really fun festival so yeah that's good for them props to them what I'm going to be doing for the remainder of the of the episode is effectively give a preview and tease teaser of what I'm going to be doing in uh feeling groupy at the blog coming up soon so with that one um before i get to that um i will just say in the future episodes i will be bringing back some recurring topic some recurring things like uh um like i do want to bring back the protest music series at some point because i enjoyed that one i want to bring back the state of music one because i think that one's interesting but one that i'm going to be having come up is Artist whose popularity confuses me. So I'm going to be doing that one in the blog. And basically, it's not like, for instance, it confuses me that they're that they're popular because I think their music is terrible. 
that one, a lot of times, no, that wouldn't make, no, that's not what I'm doing. Um, rather, there are other reasons. And what I will say is that majority of the artists who are popular, probably 99% of artists who have found commercial success, it makes sense why they're popular or for them to consistently be popular. And that's like probably across history also. Maybe 98, but still. Majority of the artists who are popular, I'm not surprised by. But every now and then, there's an artist that becomes popular. And it throws me off a bit. So, the example that re- I'm not going to discuss in the podcast. I'm going to be discussing it more in the blog. But the reason that I was actually inspired to do this was because of the band Tool. Because... They eventually evolved into like a form of like progressive rock, progressive metal music, progressive metal music that isn't particularly commercially popular, and yet they have become like one of the like one of the biggest rock rock metal bands in the world. So that was kind of what influenced me with this, and there are various reasons that artists could be popular, and it's not just that like. It confuses me why they're popular. In some cases, in many cases, that is what I'm going to be discussing. A lot of times it is like maybe the style of music, maybe just the fact that they're thought of as a one-hit wonder but are really popular. In some cases, it's just that the style of music that they play didn't have much popular success beforehand. And in some cases, it's a case of, like, they're... Uh, one that I'm not, I'm not going to be discussing in the podcast, but will be in the blog, is that he's thought of as a one-hit wonder, but has had several hits and is influential in two genres. So, um, so, and just in general, a lot of things that, like, a lot of times, I'm thinking more of, it doesn't make sense from a historic standpoint. So, what we're, so, um, well, I'll get and with the te- I'm going to discuss ten here, and then I'll discuss the remainders in the blog. Um, so the ten that I'm doing here are for the most part bigger names. Most of the, a lot of them aren't necessarily household names. Some of them definitely are, or several of them definitely are. Um, and for some of them, they are just really big in their in their respective genres and have found a lot of commercial success. So. And I'll have a mix of really commercial, really big names, and ones that aren't as big that I'm still surprised by in the blogs. And I'll tease a few of those later on. But the 10 that I discussed, the first one is Social Distortion. So, legendary punk band. Um, they have found a lot of commercial success. Their most recent album, released in 2011, peaked at number 4 in the US. In particular, that was their first top 10 album. But the thing is, so they're first couple albums like their first album Mommy's Little Monster that one didn't have commercial success but it was like a hardcore punk album more so and I mean admittedly a lot of hardcore punk bands in the 80s didn't find much commercial success the next album was more just like more of a punk album instead of a hardcore punk album it still didn't have success then they released their self-titled album which was their commercial breakthrough it was a cow punk album 
which te- typically is like a blending punk with like our uh, genres like country folk blues um stuff like that so and basically the bands that other bands that have released stuff like that really haven't found any commercial success doing that so it's insane that I find it insane that they were they that was what helped them find commercial success and a lot of their a lot of their most famous releases are just like the epitome of cowpunk like you have story of my life their iconic release that one is one that comes to mind when I think of cowpunk same thing for uh their same thing for their cover of uh of Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire well the fact that it was even a Johnny Cash cover is an indication of that um and then um their song Ball and Chain that was another one it's a more blues based one blues punk one but even still it is still often considered cowpunk so I think just the fact that how they became popular when they by changing to a genre that has had no popularity really is something that just blows my mind and really surprises me next band that I want to discuss is Nine Inch Nails so Nine Inch Nails found a lot of commercial success as being the biggest most influential and probably the greatest industrial band of all time the thing is though really the only band that had notable commercial success as an industrial band in the US before that was Ministry and they didn't really have a ton Nine Inch Nails comes onto the scene and their debut album uh, hits number 75. They And they even had an, a song that hit the top 100 and had like a hole. Then you get their, um, they release uh, their EP Wish, which hit 7 in the US. Then they released the Downward Spiral, which hit number 2, had multiple hit singles including Closer, following album hit number one there uh, they had a top 20 hit and it's like it, and they ultimately after that several industrial acts had commercial success um in particular one that still has had commercial success is rob zombie so it's wild because a lot of ba- and then also ministry had they didn't really have as much commercial success as they as Nine Inch Nails did, but they had a lot more after Nine Inch Nails became big. So it, so admittedly, their style of music is uh, is often more radio friendly than a lot of industrial music. But even still, they went to like more ex- experimental lengths at times, as their commer- as they have still had singles that were su- successful had commercial radio play and their albums still have consistently sold well. I love them and it confuses me so much that they've been as popular as they were throughout their career. Next one I want to discuss is Jimmy Eat World. So Jimmy Eat World is uh, one of the bands that helped popularize um, emo music and in particular more pop version of emo and they're often thought of as a one-hit wonder. And technically, yeah, they are a one-hit wonder. They had one top 40 hit with the middle. But the thing is, though, 
so the album that The Mill came on, their fourth album, originally called Bleed American, they changed the name to Jimmy Eat World after 9-11 happened, one and a half months after the release of the album. The Middle ended up being a massive hit, and they still had Sweetness and Pain, which both hit Top 100. They had several other songs that hit um, the Bubbling Under charts. And they had their albums and the album that was released right afterwards the next two hit number 10 and the next three hit hit top 20 so they continued to have commercial success for the next two decades even though they're technically a one hit wonder so there are cases like that that um where that's also the case um like Beck is another notable case of that um Ben Folds um which those two I'm going to discuss I'm likely going to discuss in the blog blog posts but still I think that Jimmy Eat World because like those I mean like those two are a little bit different because Beck has like like Odelay which is considered like an all time amazing album and a couple of Sea Change was also the same kind of thing other albums that were insanely critically acclaimed Ben Folds has had this massive following live and also has a big following in the acapella community Jimmy Eat World doesn't really have that kind of stuff. So, and it's even to the point where um, I heard an ad one time for uh, before COVID where that there was going to be a show a to- when Jimmy Eat World and Third Eye Blind were touring together. One of the radio hosts giving away tickets for that show for an alternative rock station where they were playing multiple Jimmy Eat World songs proceeded to say that effectively that the only song that Jimmy Eat World will play throughout the entire time is the middle. Which I'm like, which just I think really shows to me just how, conf- I think, really think that is kind of confusing how they technically are a one-hit wonder. A lot of people think, in, even in music, think of them as a one-hit wonder, but yet they've had a, a sustained, commercially su- successful musical career. That is just weird in my opinion. Um, The next one that I want to discuss is, or actually two that I want to discuss in particular are interesting cases because a lot of times you have cases of bands changing their style and I only included two on here that did so um the first one is like a more traditional kind of case of band releasing an album the next uh they're commercially successful um and then at some point in their commercial success then they decide to totally change styles there are very few cases where it's of their second, where it's the second release where they change styles. One band, I'm in the blog, I'll be discussing, um, just as a teaser again, um, Panic at the Disco, who drastically changed their style from their first album to their second album. But another one that did something similar, but not quite to the maybe not quite to the extent they did, maybe even a little bit weirder in some ways was Foster the People. So they, of course, f- found success from their first album, Torches, in particular, the massive smash hit, um, excuse me, the massive smash hit, um, Pumped Up Kicks. And they had other songs on there. There was Helena, Don't Stop, um, some other songs coming. Um, then they, they released their second album, Which, immediately their first album was 
at times a little bit psychedelic pop influenced, a little bit weirder at times for pop music. Their second album, they really dove a bit more into psychedelic sound. Which, now, like, for instance, you have a band like MGMT who was psychedelic from the start, then they dove into weirder and weirder music from there. Foster the People was more indie pop. So, the fact that they just went the direction of... uh, The direction of that was a little... um, was really weird to see, to say the least. And, um, really, uh, critics... It it got mixed reviews from critics. I think critics just in general just seemed really confused by it. A lot of fa- it sold well. It hit number three in the U.S., but a lot of fans seemed really confused by it. The singles didn't do anywhere near as well, um, because the singles were just weirder. And I think that one that I that reminds me of when Bring Me the Horizon had first released. That's the spirit, which was straying from their uh, metalcore style and like seemed to go all sorts of directions and then they released Ammo which was more focused on pop rock it I read one that well, both those were critically claimed I read one um, there was one reviewer that after Ammo was released had said that it reminded them of U2 when they released Actung Baby which critically claimed um, also commercially successful but was kind of multiple directions as to where to go where they wanted to go, then they release Zuropa. In my opinion, one of the most underrated albums of all time. Such a good album. Um, and that one was full out weird for what U2 had ever released previously. Similar kind of thing. And I think, plus the people, it reminds me of that. And for both Zuropa and then Ammo, they were, a little, were reviewed a little bit worse than their, pre- than their predecessor. And same thing for, same thing with Foster the People. But, the thing is though, this was Foster the People's second album. So they hadn't they'd only done one album of defi- trying to define their sound before they said let's go fall in weirder. So that surprised me a little bit. And they released their third album. It didn't chart as well, but it was more pop based and they had um uh they had a song that their second most commercially successful song um sit next to me, but even still though I think that just their second album still just is always something that confused me at that decision. Um, the one that I want to go into is an even weirder case. Because with Foster the People, they changed styles after they had become popular. And it's very rare that an artist has kind of a style defined and then is about to break, become big, still becomes big. But totally changed, but has totally changed the style on this album that was their breakthrough album. But that was the case with Chance the Rapper. So prior to the release of Color and Book, which was his breakthrough mixtape, so you had Ten Days, which was like a rap album. Then you had uh, Acid Rap, which had some jazz influence on it, but was still like kind of his, kind of still like it defined his style of rap, and was you could tell he was about to break through. Then he releases Coloring Book. And now, admittedly, um, Angels was the first single in that one. It had some neo-soul influence, which is, he didn't usually go that route exactly. And even still, the second single, which was released just after the mixtape, um, no problem. That one was like kind of like what you'd expect from a Chance Rapper. 
but then you most of the album was gospel and gospel rap influenced which admittedly a lot of artists that go the gospel rap group whether root whether it's like actual gospel influenced hip-hop or like just christian hip-hop very few find commercial success like prior to that you had ne- um actually neff was after that but uh you had a uh, lecrae you had toby mac but toby mac was more pop more pop rap also um and then andy minio briefly but otherwise there really wasn't much he full in dove into this gospel rap had all, had all sorts of artists who all bought into it also and it ends up being his major breakthrough commercial success and basically it reached the point where after that release i said he was one of the biggest rappers in the game because several rappers tried to influ- incorporate gospel music in there most notably Con- in their albums most notably Kanye and he Kanye has continued to try to do that afterwards so but still, it confused me that he released that album, or that mixtape, as it just totally changing his style from before, and it worked. Next artist I want to discuss is The Cure. So for The Cure, most of their, their most, a lot of their most popular music in the U.S. is like more alternative pop rock, um, even some jangle pop. But there is a touch of gospel, I mean, not gospel rock, gothic rock in there. And the cure, which the cure, they are the face of gothic rock. Let's, at this point, let's face it. Then most, I mean, their first album was more post-punk, but then by their second album, they went full on gothic rock. Um, most notably, the, sing- the single from that album, The F- a Forest, and is like probably the epitome of a gothic rock song, in my opinion. They they found started finding commercial success after they switched to gothic rock, and then even still a lot of their big release big releases after that, and popular releases still had like a gothic rock sound, or even had like an underlying of a gothic rock sound in it. Even like a song like Just Like Heaven has um, some underlying gothic rock song sound. Same thing with a love song, um, and. They have had albums that were gothic rock albums that had found a lot of commercial success in the U.S. The reason that confused me is because name another gothic rock band that has found a lot of commercial success in the U.S. I mean, there are some that, I mean, yeah, there are several that have had success in the U.K. because it's a bigger genre in the U.K. There have been others that have found minor success, but nothing like The Cure. That is why it confuses me so much because it's like, I love The Cure. They're a massive band. And it's like, their the, their continued commercial success just, it blows my mind. Um, it I find that so weird and so confusing, but so interesting. Next one I want to discuss is Fish. And the main reason is because, this one's a weirder one because they're, Popularity doesn't surprise me. In that, they're kind of similar to like the Grateful Dead, how you have, and even their spinoff bands since then, you have fans traveling around the country and in some cases the world to watch their shows. Same thing with Fish, you have 
pe- consistently. St- I mean, not. St- I was about to say still have people doing this, but not as much still right now with COVID. But when the world is normal, you have people tor- just traveling behind them to go to all their shows. The th- thing that really surprised me is that so. Um, just a quick history lesson. Well, with some artists that were jam music, you started to have some artists that had commercial success in the 90s, um, late 80s for some. Like you have like uh, Spin Doctors, Blues Traveler that had like a song or two that were like got crossover success. Then you had Fish and Dave Matthews Band were the first two artists that had continued commercial success to really make jam music the a uh, more commercially viable um, outside of touring. And Dave Matthews Band, it makes sense because they had, like, for instance, multiple songs that had alternative crossover success um, and, like, rock crossover success. So that makes sense to me. The one that doesn't make as much success is Fish's commercial success because they had some success with albums, but they were like they were they started having commercial success before Dave Matthews band released their first album but they didn't have any, they never really had any singles to rely on for radio airplay either so it makes no sense to me how they were the ones that really were the first ones to start <laughs> consistently commercializing it or having commercial success really with jam music well Dave Matthews band had more commercial success with it which makes sense given the exact specifics with the style it confuses me to no end that even still Fish was really the first one to have this kind of continued success with albums. Um, I mean, it makes sense from a touring standpoint, but from a commercial standpoint, it doesn't really make sense to me. The next one I want to get to is probably will sound a little bit weirder, and that's Chris Stapleton. So, country artist um, with some rock crossover. He... And, now, after he released his first album, once he he's had continued success since then, that makes perfect sense to me. What's a little bit more confusing is the journey up until that point. So, he had a few different bands that he formed, um, and then he decided, moved to Nashville, uh signed on to be a songwriter and tried a few other bands and stuff but really was successful as a songwriter for many years um like in particular uh like starting in 2003 he starring for a bunch of bunch of different country artists some of the more some of the bigger names they wrote for include Josh Turner, Trace Atkins, Kenny Chesney, um Tim McGraw, uh Leon Womack, uh, Darius Rucker, um, not a country artist, but he wrote one for Adele, um, Allison Cross, um, George Strait, Thomas Rhett, Alan Jackson, Luke Bryant, Jason Aldean, and then he got signed on to release his debut album, Traveler. So, 12 years after he had moved to Nashville and got signed on as a songwriter, he releases his debut album and 
the album hits number one in the U.S., massive commercial success, um, as a massive critical success also, um, there's a case to be made as the best, there's a case to be made as the best song of the decade even, um, ends up having a top 20 hit on the, ends up having a top 20 hit from it, um, but he had a few songs that hit top 100, but has a cover song that hits top 20 as his biggest solo commercial song with Tennessee Whiskey, which that whole bit just surprises me so much how his biggest song is a cover song when he's an excellent songwriter um, and just 12 years after he signs on as a songwriter ends up sweeping every country award at all these any award show pretty much it's a strange journey how he got there but now he's one of the biggest names in country music um next one I want to discuss is Dream Theater and now Dream Theater they're, they're the biggest progressive metal band in the world they're, they've been the most commercially successful for many years and there are a lot of commer- um, bands that have commercial success with, uh, um, like in different European countries, as progressive rock or progressive metal bands. Usually, not as many with in the U.S., but there are some. That's not what surprises me, though. With them, what surprises me with them is they've had multiple songs that had radio airplay success. For instance, "Pull Me Under" is an eight-minute-long song. And it and is their biggest hit, pit like hit number ten in the mainstream rock charts. And they had another day, which was also a hit. Uh, Lie, which was a hit. Um, Through her eyes, which was a hit in Japan. Um, it's that I find that just so confusing that they had because progressive rock, progressive metal bands, tip at least. It was different in like the seventies, in some in some cases the eighties, but not as much the eighties, when there were progressive rock bands that were finding commercial success. But once, but for this one, they were releasing these in like, their in like this. Their commercial breakthrough was album was Images and Words, which was released in ninety two. And then since then, they had a few top ten hits even later on, um, and they've been massive since then and I think it's it I really do find that strange how that's worked out and uh the last one that I want to discuss is Nirvana so Nirvana is like probably I, I think it feels safe to say that Nirvana is the biggest grunge band so um their first album um they had a few songs that it had some commercial success. They had a few songs that were successful on it as well, um, but it really wasn't. I mean, it wasn't until it was really re-released in 1992 when it even charted in the top 200. Um, and the song that's most known from it now is about a girl, and. Battle Girl's probably more known for 
their acoustic cover version that was released later on. Um, and even then, that was more like more melodic than anything else he ever released. Er, they ever released. Then they released Nevermind, which was full on into grunge and frankly a lot of the stuff on it really was like kind of like anti-popular music even with how it was released like you had um of course smells like teen spirit is the most popular song from it and that was a massive success but you have like for instance a song like come as you are um and lithium both charted in the top 100 Come As You Are even charted in the top 40. Then you had also had In Bloom, which had radio success. Um, their next album had like Heart Shaped Box and All Apologies, which also had like radio success. And Heart Shaped Box, yeah, that was a little bit more melodic for them, but even still that was more grunge. And All Apologies was real again again I really do consider that one like not particularly um come um like it's not what I consider as like a commercial uh what I'd think of when I think of a commercial I'm like more of a radio friendly song or anything like that Nirvana just kept releasing songs like that and and they had other songs that found some radio success, like Polly Gets Some here and there. Um, uh, Drain You Got Some, but I mean, really, for them, it's really a case of they're the. I've always considered Nirvana the band that shouldn't have been popular that did, somehow or another. And that really does confuse me how they were at the forefront of grunge. And I mean, sure, like, I mean, the other, in the big three for grunge, the other two, Pearl Jam and Soundgarden, those two make a little bit more sense in my opinion, because they do have, because it makes sense that they would get, like, have songs that get, like, rock radio play. With Nirvana, it's, like, more, like, In a lot of the alternative music from the 90s, a lot of it is more consonant and at times upbeat music. Their music was all dissonant, pretty much. At least all their popular stuff. So, I think that one is... So, I think that one is really interesting to see how they ended up being the face of... uh, The face of grunge music and arguably the face of alternative music as a whole. The only reason I say arguably is because R.E.M. is also... Because it's tough to beat R.E.M. in that regard. But even still, it that is, in my opinion, one of the most confusing bands for them to be big. Um, and now there will be several others that I will be discussing in the in the blogs blog posts coming up. So, just as a quick tease, I will also be discussing... In addition to the artists I mentioned, I'll also be discussing artists like Deaf Heaven, Wilco, Jefferson Airplane, String Cheese Incident, Bonnie Wright, Bonnie Wright, uh, Mastodon, 
Um, Radiohead. And a big one that I'm going to be discussing that, in my opinion, is really surprising that they became big. Eminem. So, definitely make sure you check those out as they come out. Um, but that's all for me to, for today. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. Um, be sure to like my Facebook page, Groupie and Harmony. And be sure to also check out my blog, Feeling Groupie. And check out my other blog and the Facebook page. Is Baller Trademarked yet? Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.